Welcome to Star Drifter, the science fiction patio book series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Today's story, All He Surveys, Volume 1, Chapter 10. I'm uh, not sure what you expect me to say, Mr. DeSantos. I'd awakened Investigator Pearden from what appeared to be a very deep slumber. He looked even more rough around the edges than before, but that was to be expected. His face was creased along one side where a seam or wrinkle in his pillow had branded him, and his eyes were bloodshot. He still needed a shave, but it was an aspect I'd decided to identify with him. With this version of him, at least. In my eye view, the man appeared barely conscious, yet he kept up with me as I spoke. Her name is Iwanid Piani Trisal, a titled lady, according to the gossip rags, long-term resident of this station, but now about to leave, gone by the end of the week, in fact. I know who she is. The department gets security briefings on all nobles that come and go. Why do you think she is involved? Because two guys who work for her tried to shake me down for information I don't have. They said they were cops, but showed me an ID card instead of a badge like you have. I have a card too, he put in obliquely. Why would they think you know something? Why would they care? Because Mrs. Fausel is still alive. They wanted to know when she was getting off the ship. What did you tell them? That I didn't know. He'd been about to follow up with something, but then stopped, studying the weird spacer on his vid display. His crusted eyes, already narrowed from a deep sleep he clearly needed badly and that I had broken in on with some insane-sounding chatter, narrowed even further. But you do, don't you? Does that even matter? This Lady Trisal is fishing for information. I mean, okay... Maybe she's a concerned friend. He continued squinting into the pickup, then did a bit of phlegmy coughing before putting in, <coughs> You don't think that. You would not have called me otherwise. And why did you call, Mr. DeSantos? More to the point, what do you think you are doing? If you are right, how is interfering going to protect anyone? And if you are wrong... Speaking slender of a born noble who outranks you, Familiancano dos Santos, yes, I've done my research, could mean prison time, even for you. This is a bad direction to be starting off in. Starting off? I replied with some annoyance. I started this off by catching a skull fragment in my throat. Someone went to a lot of trouble to get to him. It would have required weeks or even months of planning that included turning a trusted member of his staff. Why should it take such an elaborate plot to kill a few tourists? Someone could have walked up to them in a crowd somewhere and had more success than Duca did. Unless the Fausels were avoiding crowds. His enemies couldn't find him, you contend, because he kept himself and his family on the move. The investigator was eyeing me with more deliberateness now. 
He was wide awake, but you had to look closely to see it. On the move and probably under cover, his enemies had to approach someone who could get near him. Chef Tonva is the real deal, an artist. There isn't a power in the galaxy that can make someone like him compromise their professional ethics, at least not without the bad guys pressing him hard, which would show their hand. So they went with someone less prominent and easier to manipulate, given instructions to bide his time until he had an opportunity. The cop thought about this some more, then nodded. Yes, a plan like that would have taken time to set up and enact, but that doesn't answer my question. What are you doing? Trying to stay alive. They'll come for anyone who saw anything sooner or later, unless they're exposed. Sure, I could return to Ain space and just live out my life. I'd probably be safe enough. But I'd be looking over my shoulder anyway, and I could never risk coming back over the border, which is unacceptable. I have family here, as you apparently now know. All right, I've run through the connections for you. Lady Trisal. It's her. It's got to be. I don't know why, but she wanted the Fausals dead, yet only managed a partial success. Which means she's not done. Do you ever sleep, Mr. DeSantos? Because I do, when I'm allowed a few hours of peace. If you'd like to discuss this tomorrow, say, mid-shift, I can be available to meet with you. Fine. Which precinct? Let's keep this, what's the phrase, under wraps for a bit, Yes. When I say you can be prosecuted for impugning a noblewoman's reputation, it is not a joke. I don't mind indulging your flights of fancy, but I cannot say the same of my commander, who is distressingly patriotic at times. He would listen if you had any proof, but you don't seem to. There's a trail, investigator. I'm not a detective, yet I found it in one afternoon flat, on a foreign space station where I can barely speak the language. Direct line. This person to that. They're not being subtle. I'll lay odds there are digital footprints to go along with it all. Your department would have access to that stuff. You only have to look. No, we really don't, Mr. DeSantos, but I'll see you tomorrow anyway. I'll call and we'll set up a rendezvous. And he closed the connection. I sat in my room cube, staring at the plastic walls. They were pink and clean. The sheets were white and clean. I'd taken a shower, so I was clean. Yet talking about the attack had brought up visions of it, and now I didn't feel so clean. It would be a long night, but talking about sleep had an effect as well, so I lay back, closing off the retinal displays for anything other than priority calls. I put Investigator Peard in on that list. Any call from him might be an emergency. It might also be more grumpy dismissal. I was pretty sure about that guy while being absolutely in the dark. Regardless of the outcome, even if it was nothing, I'd be closer to understanding where I stood with him and what he was doing in all this. And I hadn't missed that he pointedly didn't tell me to butt out. He only asked why I was in. People were being controlled, maybe many people, and I didn't want to be one of them. This was the very periphery of the thing. There wasn't much to see yet, but a stick in the water could stir it up, make something float to the surface. I laid there for another hour without any of that talked about sleep, 
when a priority call did come in. It wasn't the investigator, and it wasn't unexpected. My breakfast consisted of a well-grilled protein fillet that had a flavor profile vaguely like that of seafood, along with lemon rice and a thick slice of kale bread, crusty from the griddle and so dark and green it was almost black. A melting slab of butterette on the toast and another on the fake fish. Salt, pepper, and a shaker of some unfamiliar mixed spice combo endemic to this station that added heat and a touch of umami. The diner was busy, and this dish had been the morning special, which I'd discovered sliding across the overhead menu. I'd pointed and fumbled my words, but the burly fellow behind the counter had gotten it, including my request for strong tea. Fish for breakfast was part of the local cuisine. It was good and filling, though didn't really feel much like a morning meal. Then again... Morning, in space, was an artificial concept, and by the look of a lot of the other customers, some of whom were coming off the night shift, dinner for breakfast might have been more than normal. I had hours yet before Pearden would likely call, and there was no way to know even yet whether he would keep his word. He'd seemed intrigued enough to want to, but there was more going on, including with him. It was something of a risk reaching out, but I was alone here and low on facts. That needed to change. Dorcas of the Heather had undocked overnight and was on its way out to the jump point. It would be gone from the star system by mid-shift, but not so its tragedies and secrets. Those were still here, still raw and in play. And then the moment became one of those creepy synchronicity points which we all have from time to time. You know, when you're thinking of a person or a thing that suddenly appears before you. A friend walks into the room a second after you picture their face. Someone says they're hungry, barely a heartbeat after you yourself feel a pang. Or a ship you have in mind suddenly pops up in your eye view as the subject of an emergency news headline. I had certain keywords and story criteria set up to filter out the noise of modern media and push forward only those news items I considered relevant to me. My name, of course, anything to do with the Vernays family, legal changes or business trends in the commercial gunnery field, and anything local to my current location having to do with piracy. Outbound ship attacked. The headline glowed lemon yellow in my eye view, my rig having picked up the tail from the station's media nets. I made a gesture to open it up and watch the news over breakfast. It was bad and got worse as the morning progressed and details trickled in. Raider attacks in this star system, and for that matter, this entire area of space, were strictly the stuff of history. So much so that when someone finally mentioned it to the guy behind the counter, he was surprised and turned on a Tri-D unit in the ceiling, bringing tragedy up on the hollow display for everyone in the diner to see. It opened slowly, 
like a rancid flower under fetid heat. Juggling the inconsistent stories and trying to compare stated time frames in context to my own morning hours, it seemed like I'd been waiting in line at the Cube Motel for my turn at a shower, it was a cheap place, when an unknown vessel jumped in, targeted Dorcas of the Heather, and for whatever reason, opened fire. But the facts were still sketchy. Dorcas had star-jumped away in time. No, Dorcas was damaged and calling for help. Wait, Dorcas was destroyed. Most reports stated the attacking ship had itself jumped out immediately after the confrontation. But there were no confirmations on this point, nor about what sort of attack had actually occurred. Maddeningly, that was all the major news networks had to offer just yet. After wasting time watching corporate puppet shows on the Tri-D for half an hour, I turned to my own resources. This ate up time, and I was obliged to order some pie and cough tea in order to justify my seat. Not much of a sacrifice. It was real blueberry pie from an onboard vertical farm and an in-house constructed blend of coffee and pico black tea. Not some mix. This place was legitimate. What was its name again? No. Focus. Information. Expert sources. I queried data nets and niche boards searching for a community that would be worth listening to. The local gunnery forum had a number of vid, audio, data, and text channels available, and it took a while to go through it and find something useful. Eventually, I quizzed a member who pointed me to a report posted within the hour by a gunner in a small cargo ship that had been making its docking approach with Juriano Colony when the attack occurred. The guy had been monitoring sensors through his gunnery suite at the time, you know, as you do, and was now stating that he'd picked up an energy sig consistent with a military-grade pulse cannon from out by the scene of the attack. He provided his data as a separate file, which was probably illegal, but I went through it and came to the same conclusion. As impressive as Dorcas's automated defenses were, it certainly did not have a military pulse cannon installed, nor was it sporting the kind of armor that could resist one. A weapon consistent with those specs would have required a precise targeting array, the kind that could have zeroed in on the luxury liner while it was still deep in the gravity well, not needing to wait for it to roll up on the jump point from where the aggressor had fired and the rad spike detected by that board gunner implied a weapon capable of shredding a luxury liner to metallic confetti with even a glancing hit. Based on his readings, the ship's defensive system hadn't seemed to do much when it had mattered the most, and such a failure was unlikely to be a coincidence. It should have at least put the ship into some sort of defensive posture, and maybe even gotten a few shots off. I could have done that much, and it was quicker than me. Dorcas would still have been destroyed, since it was no match for a fast-strike vessel. But that the intruder had been one was clear from its attack style, including the DEW used. Its gunnery AI had been disabled. It was the only answer. 
Cracking the security processes associated with commercial gunnery was difficult, even on regular ships. With something as safe and advanced as Dorcas of the Heather, I'd go so far as to say it was impossible for anyone to do so without it being noticed. Since it seemed to have happened anyway, the ship's defenses must have gone offline the very moment the intruder jumped in system. Military weapons, coupled with a military-grade cyber attack. Dorcas of the Heather was dead. A coldness creeped in. Not inside the diner. The place was stifling. Not on the street outside. Not even in the coldness of space outside of that. I was standing in the path of a glacier. And the eons were but seconds. It was going to crush me if I didn't move. The ship. My ship. They'd let me go, but not without cause. I'd had nothing but respect for them. Fired, but still my ship. My crew. I would die if I didn't move. I read through the data that Gunner had posted again and again, but it was clear enough. Comprehensive, in fact. He'd had his vessel's wideband detector running through long-range targeting. That was newbie stuff. After a few years, most gunners usually looked for reasons not to capture extraneous sensor data, because if you grabbed it, you had to log and store it. It becomes part of your responsibility, extra work. If it was a quiet shift, it was better to lay off passives and just hit the log with an SNE tag, that is, status, no event and move on. But there'd be no SNE today, not for him or anyone else covering sensors in a Mikotenda star system. This was why sharing his logs on a more or less public communication board was probably a bad move. He could be sucked up into the investigation, and there would be one. Military forces from the Noble Family Consortium that owned this star system would swoop in. Local authorities would have a look-see, and the thundering hammer of the Root Management Authority would be felt by one and all. Captain Barton, professional and concerned. Chef Irina, proud and disciplined with her four Ludorf stars. Ship guard Tinnig Siala, starting life anew. Yukus, with all her mean pranks. It might have just been flirting by another name. Crew and wealthy passengers gone. Over two hundred people, including the frozen servants down in cargo. There'd have been no time to abandon ship, no time, probably, to negotiate with the attacker. The killers hadn't taken any chances, either of being counterattacked or of failing. Jump in, hit em hard, jump out. According to that likely illicit data dump, those three events combined took all of 52 seconds. It was a classic guerrilla-style action, reducing risk to the attacking ship while boosting the chance of paralytic surprise on the part of the target. It required high-quality intel that included departure times, intrasystem transit speeds, and exact jump point coordinates. 
On top of that, the attack required an absence of escorting vessels and a reasonable certainty that the target would not be at combat readiness throughout the strike. Actions of this type were impossible to maintain throughout an extended conflict, but for a one-time raid, it was textbook. In war, you killed the enemy. In times of peace, that was just murder. Or, maybe more precisely, assassination. The news bites were loud, even hysterical. Pirates, cutthroats, desperate predators out of deep space. The low-speak conversation in the diner became fast and energetic, and the feeling of fear in the air was plain. I paid the tab with a finger wave in my eye view and walked out. Investigator Pearden called about a minute later. I'm free right now, Ejock, if you are. His words were inviting, his tone insistent, and his low-speak accent was gone. On my way, Captain Marzian, I assured, dropping this stupid game since he'd finally chosen to. Just tell me where. It turned out he'd been promoted a couple of times in the previous decade. Colonel Marzian now. I offered him sincere congratulations, which I don't know if he believed. I'd been flat on my back when he had interviewed me, all those years ago, in a hospital bed at Fort Con Medical Center. This was on Dealey Waypoint, which was a huge, busy station between star systems. After Barlow after the worst days of my life. He'd slipped into a secure facility, past other officers and other intelligence specialists who were hovering like blowflies, and managed to put a few questions to a man who had no right to be alive. I really didn't think you'd be able to remember that, he muttered, amazed and with a head shake. We were in a murky little bar on the other side of the station from the diner, this was what stood in for a sketchy neighborhood here. Maybe it was one. I didn't really take the measure of the thing. I was much too angry and frightened of myself because of it. I was undergoing neural regeneration at the time. Those few moments of consciousness here and there were imprinted. It's one of the reasons they keep you in an induced coma for that kind of procedure. Long-term memories formed during cognizance repair can become so deeply ingrained, people sometimes become locked into them, causing monomania and other problems. That's how it was explained to me, anyway. I didn't know that. Sorry, I had a job to do. I chuckled, but not out of mirth. <laughs> I'm not focused on you, Colonel. It was too early for alcohol, at least for me. I just had a soft drink, but my companion leaned into his pint like it was a favorite teddy bear. I'd assumed he had gotten up early or maybe had never gone back to sleep after my call. He looked pretty grubby still, but now I could see that his five o'clock shadow never became a six o'clock. That there was product in his thin hair to keep it just slightly untidy and must that the dark rings under his eyes might actually have been cosmetic. 
So you knew who I was from the start? Very nearly, yeah, which added to my suspicions. Fleet OSA wouldn't be over here without a very good reason. Which I can't talk about. Then why are we talking at all? I assume you actually are undercover with the local PD. Either that, or they're totally in Trasal's pocket and nobody from the police came and talked to me. I have an understanding with the precinct captain. The military intelligence officer admitted, then took another pull of his beer. It was dark amber and actually looked good. I wasn't sure how it would mix with breakfast fish, though, and with the deaths of a lot of people, I respected. I'm supposedly on special assignment from another police force on another station. I have a free hand so long as I don't step on toes, which makes your accusation of Lady Trissal so problematic. Those two characters you followed are cops, but they also work for her. Then you believe me, Colonel? You're not in the military, Ejok. Call me Eli. Lady Trissal's been making preparations to leave. It's not the first time I've heard of her, I admitted feeling generous and deciding to share. In what way? His eyes narrowed. She was on the board of directors for the Montero Corporation, way over in Moneyland, about five years ago. You know that for a fact? She keeps her transnational investments very quiet. I never met her or anything, but I heard the name. If she stayed on with the company after its shake-up, which was bloody then I suspect she made a lot of money over there. We never could trace her funding. Her noble line is impoverished, but she herself has the voltage, and I mean all of it. She says a thing, and that thing happens. Then she said Dorcas of the Heather had to go to get to Mrs. Fausel. Not her, not really. Now my eyes narrowed. Eli Marzian was in a sharing mood, too, and with a civilian. It made no sense unless he was swinging in the wind. If so, that meant he was alone right now, way over here in the Empire, with no support forthcoming. The kids, I spoke, understanding it now. Then it was about inheritance. For all the trouble gone to, the Fausels must be mighty important. Fausel's not the name, of course. Camo or Count Feodor Kajit-Pudin. The officer said quietly, nodding. Legal patriarch of the Kajit line. He stood at the nexus of a lot of movement over here, but he was losing his footing. He smelled the wind and decided to relocate to someplace other than the Empire. They still could have gone after him in the Alliance, I pointed out. We were ready to help with that. Territorial Customs was going to put the entire family under incognito relocation. He was ready to give up the title, but only if he could bring over his money. The wife would have had to do the same, Kamatosa Rusina Bonakajit, as she's known. There are legal mechanisms in place within the Empire for when a nobleman wants to retire instead of die in harness. The position of patriarch would have passed on to another male family member in that case, but this is distinct from inheriting it and from the title of count, and there are laws to match. Determining the next leader of the family would have been a matter for the College of Families to sort out. Politics, then, and not a matter of legacy, I observed. But surely that isn't what this is about. The intelligence officer shook his head. Not completely, but money, title, and position together 
bring it into focus. Kamo Kajitbuddin asked the Senate Policy Committee over in the Alliance for an extension on their gracious offer of assistance. This was 42 days ago. There was some banking or asset confusion over here regarding the consolidation and transfer of the Kajit financial assets, so he returned thinking he had to fix it in person. It's now believed that he had received assurances from this side of the border from someone he shouldn't have trusted. I wonder if he thought he was being cagey going with that fake name and vacation story. He took one of the most expensive tours in space, I countered, with an entourage of servants and bodyguards, along with his whole family. How's that cagey? He had an assassin on his staff and probably spies as well. We tried to persuade him to stay, to handle all of his affairs from a distance. Something made him think the danger was no longer pressing. He also said his petition to the college for transition of title needed a personal touch. And he refused to leave his family in the alliance, probably fearing we'd use them as leverage. The man lived and died in a bubble of misconception. Now, with the family dead, the people behind it can start pressuring the college to award the title of count and the position of patriarch to a distant cousin. A cousin? You mean Lady Trasal? No, but someone owned by her. Fleet Intel thinks she has an eye to rise, maybe all the way to the throne. She can't ascend directly, but she can marry into it if her standing is good enough. This cousin becomes the new count. She marries him, then moves on to someone higher up the food chain. A duke, maybe. Or even a baron. Oh, don't you say it. Deskew has been dancing around this woman for years. They are, in fact, sometime lovers. He is ninth or tenth in line, but he can legally sit on the throne if these other nobles have convenient accidents and he gets the backing of the college. He's broke, I argued. Barlow ruined him. He had to auction off Planet Duenda just to pay his debts. Everywhere else, money and influence are the same thing, Eli stated. Not here. Not always. Besides, Biani Trasal has the money, or will. Deskew has the title. As a mere lady of quality, she can't marry a baron until she rises a bit. This is the first step. I'm going to kill her if I can, I said quietly, because it had just occurred to me then, and I thought I'd enjoy hearing it. I did. That's the play you're going with? he asked. Marzian didn't snort in derision nor smile at my hopeless naivete. He wasn't dismissive, incredulous, nor even especially surprised. You have a better one? Fleet likes stability and its neighbors. Stability means peace. They send people like you to tease apart the trends and see what can be done about them. If you step in directly, it's an international crisis. If I do it, it's just some sad tragedy. You're an ain't citizen too, Ejok. A crazy drifter who had his brain worked on once and was never the same afterwards. It's an easy sell to politicians in the media. Someone will come looking for me sooner or later. I saw what I saw, I've talked about it, and will likely do so again. And I was not on the ship when it was destroyed. I thought I'd have more time before there was much to worry about on that front, but things may be accelerating. After such a showy move, 
her enemies and her allies will be expecting the good lady to kick it into high gear. That means we all have to. This is your idea of peace? Hey, that's your job. This is my idea of survival. Nothing more. It is, and you know it, he argued, then finished off his beer in one long pull. You're going to stop me? I might have to. But we're just talking. No one's making plans, no one's making threats, including you. I drank my soda for a while through a straw. The bartender had called it a cola, but it was reddish and tasted fruity. A thing that should have been familiar, but was not. The only way to become used to it was to embrace it, to drink it every day, to have this quasar cola on a regular basis, and come to not only expect the strangeness of it, but to look forward to it, to make it normal. I had to bend to the situation and be the one that changed, because it never would. You're being disturbingly forthcoming, I ventured at last, because it was still bothering me. He cocked his head, squinting, looking half-conscious in his overworked cop veneer. He waved to the barman to bring another beer, and the bald guy nodded. This is something I really can't talk about, but I'm going to anyway. He paused, and I gestured for him to go on, but he held off for his beer. It was a long wait. Ejok, I work directly for the highest-ranking officer in all of fleet. Inside his desk, written in a little notebook made of real paper, is a list of names. The list exists nowhere else. It's not in any database, and only a handful of people even know about it. This is a list of men, women, and envies that, pure and simple, make things happen. Some of the richest people and most powerful politicians in all of settled space around there. Names you'd know from the media, but many more you wouldn't. People who work behind the scenes, kingmakers and puppeteers. At least two heads of different criminal cartels, several scientists, a certain pirate out in frontier space with big ambitions. Is Piani Trasal on the list? Over years now. Then the OSA has been watching her. This could have been avoided, or blunted at least, but you did nothing? An edge had crept into my voice, but he acted like he hadn't heard. You're missing the point, Ejok. Deliberately, I think. And what's that? You want me to ask, so say it. One recent addition to the list is a certain unemployed gunner. Okay, that one shut me up. You've gotten our attention. Fleet's been maintaining a profile on you for a decade. Ain't I be the same? You better believe Deskew knows who you are by now. Profiles galore, but all of them with holes. Lost time. Months upon months of it. Tell me, what did you really get up to over in corporate space four years ago? Closer to five, and I have no idea what you're talking about. Frankly, you worry us. When Ejok DeSantos walks in, the situation turns on its head. It becomes a mess and gets powerful people scrambling for cover. Nations start to eye each other when that happens. Your beer looks good. I observed, because I was getting mighty thirsty. You're allied with an up-and-coming noble family, and your mother is a power in her own right over in Jarden's system. 
I waved to the bartender, pointing to the colonel's drink, and then to myself. He smiled and grabbed a glass. You hold high security clearances in three nations, the spy went on without pause. Yet you seem to work for no branch of any government. That's a neat trick for a man who also seems to hold no ambition. One more time. What's your point, Eli? What's yours? What are you doing over here? This situation is complicated and volatile. If you drag the Alliance in, even by accident, it'll be war. Do you understand that, Ejok? I thanked the barman in low speak when he dropped off the glass, and he laughed at my accent. When he walked away, I looked the military man dead in the eye. Am I here by chance, Eli? I was pushed into the kitchen on Dorcas from way above everyone's pay grade. I thought it was Elmon Vernay's pulling strings, but you're making me rethink that supposition. Who wanted me to be on that particular flight of that particular ship? You? Your admiral? If there's a list and there's an agenda. Now you're being paranoid, he countered and played like he meant it. Maybe he did. Brain damage, remember? The OSA sees me as a troublemaker. Perhaps you dropped me into this deliberately so I'd kick over the furniture. I want to be wrong, so tell me I am. No one can tell you anything. That's in your profile. We've had human shrinks and dedicated AIs do predictive psych evals on you. Not a single one agrees with the other, but they all agree that you're quite a specimen. You wouldn't say any of this to me if you really thought I was a problem. You'd break my neck and dump me in an alley. There's always time for that. He was doing that fake squinting thing again. It was irritating because he thought it would impress me. Then again, he must have known it wouldn't which meant all he was trying to do was irritate me. Angry people make mistakes. They don't think things through. This was a man who always did, which meant he never got angry, not when it mattered. You either have orders to leave me alone, I challenged, or you're so desperate for help you're actually willing to provoke a wild card. What are you going to do? He asked again, earnestly. He really wanted to know. So I told him. Perhaps you should pick that alley out in advance, I said, and had the first swallow of my beer. It was really cold and really bitter. You have been listening to All He Surveys, Volume 1, a Star Drifter novel written and read by David Collins Rivera. This story is copyright 2022 by David Collins Rivera and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called i by Trunks and can be found on SoundCloud.com. The All He Surveys theme is a piece called Blossom by Edward Maloff and is licensed through TribeOfNoise.com. 
This story is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person, living or dead, nor any particular place or situation. Any similarities to such are purely coincidental. You can contact me at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. You can also check out my site, davidcollinsrivera.com, where you'll find everything Star Drifter, including more audio novels and stories, the Star Drifter tabletop role-playing game, podcasts, newsletters, and more. Stop by, won't you, and drop me a line. Thank you for listening. Take care.